series for the next four weeks to do uh, some mission and vision kind of sermons. So uh, as you saw in that video, uh, we uh, have three words that, that really kind of uh, describe who we are as a church, community, mission, and care. And so we are going to be doing uh, some sermons talking about what that means here at Remedy Church to, to believe in community, mission, and care. Our our mission statement of our church is we exist to glorify God by fostering biblical community, joining Jesus on mission, and in practicing intentional care. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at those three things, community, mission, and care. Uh, the way it's actually going to look is community this week. Next week, we have a guest preacher coming in. I'm super excited about the following week will be care, and the following week will be mission. So we're going a little bit out of order, but nevertheless, we're going to cover community, mission, care over the next uh, few weeks here. Uh, just And then we'll jump back into Judges just as a way for us all to kind of reacclimate ourselves to what we're wanting to accomplish here. And some of you who are uh, new and haven't heard uh, what our, our, our mission and vision is in regard to uh, community mission and care, <clears throat> we want you to know those things. Some of you are looking like you don't know who I am. I know that I normally don't wear ties, but I just wanted to throw everybody off today. So it's really me. It's, it's me. I uh, just decided to wear a tie today for fun. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to First Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, while you're switching, hope everybody has your uh, football lines set up. I don't want you to have to set up your football lines during, I know the game starts at 1. Hope those are done and that you can actually pay attention to me, what I'm saying, uh, over the next, I don't know, half hour, maybe 40 minutes or so, or 50, however long I talk. Uh, but if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament, towards the end of Paul's letters, towards the end. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're able to, uh, we ask that you stand as I read the word. Uh, we're going to do first 12 verses. Uh, and after I read, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. Of course, signifying that you're thankful the Lord to give us his word. But also, uh, you're wanting to in your head and in your heart and in your mind say, God, the things that you teach me, I want to, I want to obey those things. So I'm saying yes to the things the Holy Spirit teaches me. So starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impunity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been improved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For... We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like, nursing, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our, loyal, our labor and toil... We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how like a father with his children, how we exhorted each one of you and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Lord, we... Uh, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for an opportunity for us to gather around your word. We pray, Lord, that you would come now and that the Holy Spirit would come and 
move in these moments, that you would speak clearly through me to us all, and that um, everyone here, including me, will be convicted of places we need to be convicted, convinced of things we need to be convinced of that are true with your word. Um, comforted, God, if we have places in our um, heart where we know we need repentance, but we're nervous or scared that you would come and uh, lead us towards these things. And in all things, Lord, I pray that you would focus our mind and hearts on Jesus, that our affections for Jesus would be stirred, and that all of our hope would be in Christ's death, death burial, and resurrection. We pray that uh, as we think on the fact that we have been approved this morning, that you would just uh, amaze us again with your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, uh, today I'm going to be talking about community. So my goals today are this, is to challenge you, if you're not in biblical community, that you would see the need to get in biblical community and join a community group at Remedy Church or join some type of biblical community in whatever church you go to. Um, also, uh, one of my goals is to challenge any faulty assumptions that you might have about community uh, and what it is and what it is not. Um, and if you are in community, to encourage you to continue to live in community and possibly even uh, seek it at deeper levels than maybe you already are. These are my goals, and that hopefully hits every person in this room. Whether you are or are not in community, I want you to continually walking towards biblical community. So um, my uh, goal is that you would start by doing this to convince you that biblical community is absolutely necessary in your life. Not that it's a good idea. There's a vast difference between something that's a good idea and something that's absolutely necessary. I don't want you to think that you would, after, after this, you'd say, well, that would be helpful if I did that. Maybe I will. But instead, you would say, I'm convinced that it's absolutely necessary in my life. And if I don't, my life will be an absolute train wreck. And so I have to get into biblical community. So when we say that, what do we mean when we say biblical community? Because there's lots of communities all over the world and all over the United States. There's lots of communities. We, we put ourselves in communities uh, with other people all over the city, which is good. You know, like I'm in a football community now because my son plays football. And we have a little group of 20 people that we see every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And we hang out, etc. And, you know, talk about football. You know, that's one. We all have little communities uh, that we form, which is fine. But uh, here, I'm, I'm wanting to convince you to be in biblical community. And so what does that mean? It means a community that is solely and, uh, and, and completely centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are only together because Jesus willingly gave his life on the cross. His death, his burial and resurrection have um, been sufficient enough to, whenever we put our faith in him, become believers in Jesus, be forgiven of all our sin. And now we want to get around groups of 10, 15, how many ever people uh, and push ourselves in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus and push ourselves in trusting in the good news of Jesus. And so we want to make sure that we are in biblical community. Now, it's easy to think that you're in biblical community if you're doing things like going to a community group, uh, having conversations in the lobby with each other, uh, talking about coffee and, and discussing the Bible here and there uh, every once in a while, while those, and talking about the sermon. While those things are good, they're not necessarily biblical community. Um, community, biblical community means you're doing life together. And so when we're looking at the text today in second Thessalonians, um, 
What I want you to do is we're going to see six traits of biblical community. So what I want you to do is as we're looking at these things, think to yourself, if I am in biblical community, let me put it up against these things that I'm going to see in the text and really do the hard work of asking myself, am I in, am I in biblical community or am I just in a community that's in the church? And I'm just kind of hanging out with the church here and there. We talk about the Bible together and we drink some coffee and we laugh and we play some games every once in a while, which is fine. You should do those things. But nevertheless, I want you to also uh, ask yourselves, am I really meaningfully engaging in biblical community? Um, So many, many times, one of the things I've heard in the last 10 years as a pastor, uh, as I'm talking with people, uh, they want to know why they've been here for a while and why they aren't in a community, why they can't get community around them. And a lot of times, um, you know, as the pastor, I want to do everything I can. There's, 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 um, there's things that we haven't created, systems we haven't created, things we haven't done where we haven't uh, created enough space for people to hop in and, and be in community. I, I get that that's the case a lot of times, uh, but sometimes uh, it's not. Sometimes things are created enough so that uh, if they would per- pursue community, they would be in it. And so I would say, uh, they would say, I just don't feel like I'm in community. And I'd say, well, when's the last time you were in a community group? And they'd say, well, you know, it's been a couple months. And I would say, ha ha, <laughs> let me, let me, let me help you out here. Um, if you really want to be in community, you have to pursue it as well. Of course, the church needs to do things. If, if, if the elders at, at Remedy haven't, haven't created an environment where you feel welcome, we want you to tell us that, okay? We absolutely want to do everything we can to make it so that uh, you are engaging in a biblical community. However, um, you will never, ever, ever get in a community if you aren't pursuing it as well. It's an absolute necessary thing for you to uh, make sure that you're doing everything you can on your behalf to be in community as well. So um, having said all that, let's look at the text here and uh, look at six traits of what a real biblical community is. And you ask yourself um, if you are engaging in a community that's a Christian community that you're just hanging out in. Or if you're actually in biblical community or, you know, or nothing's going on. Let's, let's, let's look at the text and see what's going on. Now, this section that we're looking at in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 12, is built on 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. So I want to make sure you can see that. We'll, we'll start at 4. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among among you for your sake. And so when we see this, how else can they know this unless they have lived in biblical community together? One that's centered around the fact that they were chosen by Jesus Christ to be believers from, as Ephesians 1 says, from eternity past. And now because of that, they've believed in Christ, they've been filled with the Spirit. And now it says, and you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And so because of the gospel, they came and they proved what kind of men they would be among them. Now, the only way they did that is because they were with each other. They, you can't prove what kind of man you're going to be among each other unless you're actually with each other on a continual ongoing basis so you're able to observe what kind of person they have proven to be. So it's in that context that Paul is speaking about biblical community as we go into chapter 2, knowing that he and his compadres, as they went into Thessalonica and as they preached the gospel and spread the gospel with them and taught them and ministered to them, the people in Thessalonica were able to see what kind of person Paul was. And so as they were doing that, they were able to see um, 
some real aspects and real traits of community. So this is not the exhaustive list. These aren't the only six things. However, this is a good start towards community. So community group leaders, um, write these things down and see if these things are happening in your, in your groups. And <clears throat> community group attenders, uh, ask if you see these things in your own life that you're contributing these things. And those that aren't in community, see if uh, you desire these things in your life. Starting at verse 1. For you yourselves know, no brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully, mis- shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So, uh, well, we preached through the book of Acts several for several months, <laughs> uh, a while back. So when we went through Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17, if you remember, we know if you were here, what Paul is talking about. He was in Philippi. He got beat up pretty bad. And then the next city, after that was all over and they, they got out, the very next city from chapter 16 of Acts to chapter 17, when they left Philippi, the next city they went to was Thessalonica. And in that little time we talked about where we said, Paul could have said, you know what? I'm tired of getting beat up. This, is, this has been fun, but I think I'm going to tap out and just, you know, go hang out and not do this anymore. And, but he didn't, he continued to say, my life was in danger at Philippi. Everything didn't go well. Uh, instead of leaving the mission, I'm going to keep going from city to city. And the next city that he went to was Thessalonica. And so in the midst of much conflict, in the midst of much strife, in the midst of lots of, uh, moving pieces and obstacles in Paul's way, he decided to keep pressing in and go to Thessalonica. He didn't quit the mission. He didn't quit wanting to proclaim, uh, the, the gospel of God, but instead he went Jesus, so he, but he kept going. So for yourself, no brothers that are coming to you was not in vain, though he had already suffered much and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi. You know, we had boldness in our God. We trust God to keep going in the mission and declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of a lot of conflict. So what we can see here is this. Here's the first trait regarding community, that Paul has a boldness in God, that he's willing to endure much to create biblical community. He's in, he's willing, he just got beat up. He knows there's a great chance that it can happen again, but he has such a boldness in, in God that he's willing to go to a new city and create a new biblical community, endure much conflict that even might happen here in order to keep building biblical community. There were lots of obstacles in the way for Paul, but he didn't quit the mission and he didn't quit uh, with the people in his group. Instead, he kept on. And so the first thing that you should want to say and your uh, community groups and your biblical community is this. Am I also willing to endure much to create biblical community? For Paul, he certainly was. But are we willing to also, if, if things get difficult and you're like, okay, this is, this is just a little bit too hard. I thought this was going to be a whole lot easier and it's not. And so that's enough for me. I'm tapping out. I'm going to go do something that's a whole lot easier. That's not how community happens, especially biblical community. So the first key trait of biblical community, I'm just going to start shorthanding that, of community. When I say community, no, I mean biblical community because I can't keep saying biblical community because it's hard for me. So uh, I don't know why. So um, we'll call it, B, no, BC means before Christ. So confuse everybody. So here's the thing. Um, he's willing to endure much to create this community. And we got to be able to do the same. We can't be... Uh, the normal 21st century Christian where if things get hard, we just quit. We, that's not how it works. And the Bible has never, ever, ever indicated to us that create this kind of community comes easy. And so the first key trait is this. It's this. Um, 
in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of people's, because if you haven't noticed, we're all really messy people. We all live really messy, sinful lives. And your life might be simple, but I guarantee you the other people in your group's lives aren't. They're quite difficult. And whenever you finally get to know their stuff, you can't just say, this is too much for me. And uh, I hope that works out for you. And I hope that they help you. But I'm just going to go to the other group that's easy. That's not, that's, not, that's not community here. That's not the kind of community we're calling for. And so you have such a boldness in, not yourself, in God who can handle these crises that I'm willing to endure much because he's the only hope that can shed light, that can bring healing, that can bring the gospel as, a, as an amazing salve to, to heal our messy, messy lives. And so the first key trait is this, is that you're willing to endure much. You're willing to endure much. As a matter of fact, maybe I should say it this way. There's nothing you won't try to endure in order to build biblical community. You're going to, if you get in community with people at Remedy, uh, engage people and find out pretty soon that their lives are sinful and messy. Mine is, yours is, we all are. And we have to just resign ourselves to, the, to that fact and say, uh, like Paul, I'm willing to, in much conflict, keep pushing on because this is that important that people uh, get into this community and be loved and cared for and be pushed on in mission and um, be engaged at deep levels in their hearts and minds and souls so that we all can grow in Christ. That's the first one is that we're willing to endure much because the moment we realize people live messy lives, uh, we've got to be able to just say, I'm not going anywhere. The second thing is this, starting in verse two and following uh, three, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. The second thing is you understand the reason, which is because you have been approved. We're going to come back to that. So the reason why you're willing to engage in this difficult community life is because you have been approved. That means because you become a Christian. That means because your sin has been forgiven by Jesus and now your entire life has been changed. Because that has happened, you understand that reason. And the weight of being entrusted with the gospel that God has, since he's forgiven you, he's entrusted you with that good news and that you have to share it now. So you, you understand that the reason, because you've been approved in the weight of being entrusted with the gospel, this means that you also must share the gospel. So just to say it easily, another key trait of biblical community is that you actually tell people about Jesus. Your group of 15 to 12 or how many ever is in your group should actually be telling people about Jesus yourselves, even though you already believe, because it's just as important as a believer to continually hear the gospel as an unbeliever, but also unbelievers. It just characterizes who you are as a group of 12 people that you're going to talk about the gospel and tell each other and tell others. And the reason why is because you have been approved. Look at it as it says in verse 4, just as we have been approved. This word approved is in the perfect tense, indicating that it began in the past and it continues on presently, continually, always. Every time you're in the present, it's continually always true at that moment. So right now you've been approved. 
Whatever you've done, you've been approved. This is, this is the good news of Jesus, is that you are continually, no matter what's happening in the present, approved of by Jesus because he gave his life on the cross. You've been forgiven. And every time you're in the present, by the way, which is always, you are continually approved right now by God. That's the amazing news of the gospel. Not only does it radically change the way we think about who we are in Christ, it should radically change the way that we talk about Jesus with others. You can be approved. That's what community groups should be saying to each, to each other and to people they don't know, or to people that don't know Jesus. You can be approved too. You can be approved. So because you've been, as it says, approved, then you've also been entrusted. When you've been approved, you've been declared righteous. You can see it right there in the verse. You've also been entrusted. Since Jesus has declared me righteous, he's entrusted me with that same message to go tell other people. So that means... Um, the gospel approves you before God and then is entrusted to you by God. The gospel approves you before God, says you're declared righteous, and then God entrusts you with that gospel to go tell other people. Biblical communities share the gospel a lot. Remedy especially, I think, needs to hear this. Biblical communities share the gospel a lot. I'm guilty too here. We can all hear that and say, okay, that's true. And okay, let's get better at it. Every single one of us in this, work, in this room needs to, to take that. It's, it's, it's literally the very reason for their existence. Why else would we be meeting together if it weren't for the gospel of Jesus? We probably wouldn't even know each other. So we have to talk about the gospel with each other and with people that don't know Jesus a lot. Now, here's the next one. And perhaps maybe the most challenging. Perhaps maybe the most challenging. So it says in verse 5, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or pretext for greed. That key, that's a key phrase, or pretext for greed. We didn't come trying to get things for ourselves. We weren't being greedy people. We didn't come as a pretext for greed. God is witnessed. Or we seek glory for people. So what we see here is whenever they came to Thessalonica to preach the gospel, it, weren't, it wasn't for greedy purposes. Instead, it's for the opposite. It was for purposes of giving. Third, third thing, your dominant mindset is to give to your community, not to get from your community. Now, every word in that sentence is crucial. Okay, it's crucial. I'm not saying that receiving from your community group is bad. You will receive a lot. You, you should get a lot of things from your community. And I don't mean like, you know, gifts. Maybe it will be gifts. It's not like they're just going to give you money all the time. That's not what I mean. I mean, you're going to receive spiritual uh, gifts. But your dominant mindset, the first thing that you should be thinking about in regard to community is how much you can give. This is, I think, the most Christ-like manner we can have. Their primary motive when they went there was not of what they could get from the Thessalonians, but instead what they could give. And we will get things. It doesn't mean that getting things is bad. When someone in your community group wants to serve you and bring you a meal or cut your grass, and you don't say, no, no. I've got this record in my mind of stuff that I've given and gotten, and I, I'm in a real bit bad deficiency here. So give me nothing until I start doing stuff and I've earned it. That's just... Totally unthetical to the gospel, right? That, you're not keeping a, uh, a score sheet 
of how you're doing. But nevertheless, our dominant mindset is we want to give. We want to give. As Paul, quoting Jesus in Acts 20, 35 says, remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is the mindset we want to carry into our community group. We're there to bless others. We're there to give things to people. Spiritual encouragement, um, food, whatever it is. Like you, you, can, you can fill in the blank on that. I'm here, just think of it this way. I'm here to serve you 11 people in any possible way I can. And if you walk in with that mindset, you will receive. There's no doubt about it. But you will be, I think, maybe one of the most Christ-like members of the community, which we all want to be. And if everybody's doing that, well, that is an amazing, amazing biblical community. You should strive for that in your group. You should strive for that. And let me just say, everyone has something to give. Paul gave to them, and they were absolutely uh, sure of that. Everyone has. You may not think you do, but I promise you, you have something to give. I promise you. And if you don't know, then come find me. And if I, if I know you well enough, I will tell you the things that you can give. Ask your community group leader. If you're married, ask your spouse. If you're not married, ask your roommate. If you don't have a roommate, get a roommate and then ask your roommate. <laughs> I don't know. Just think of yourself this way. <laughs> what can I give to my group? What are the things that I can give? Not what can I get, but what can I give? How has the Lord wired me and what are the things that I can give? Now, um, here's the next one. And maybe this, we should have started with this one, but I just put it as number four uh, because it's in the order. It's in the order of the text. You, you probably should start with this one always and let it be kind of the, the overarching thing, but you know, it's fourth. So we're going with it at number four. Number four, uh, which comes from verse six and following. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made um, demands as apostles of Christ, but we are gentle among you, so being effectually desirous, etc. Um, not only the gospel of God, we, but we, you became dear to us, etc. So what we can see here is this in verse 6, when he says, nor do we seek glory from people. And then he follows with all these things he did. Therefore, we can ascertain that he absolutely sought the glory of God, not glory for himself. So number four, your ultimate aim for everyone in your community is the glory of God. We could have started with that as number one and then just put everything underneath it. All things after that fall under the, the big umbrella of displaying the glory of God. But I went in order. So uh, the ultimate reason that we're together is to glorify God as, as Christians. Everything we do, whenever you give someone a, a meal, whenever you go cut their grass, whenever you give them a gift card for gas, whenever you encourage them in the gospel, whenever you give them a hug because they're feeling down, whenever you listen for 30 minutes to everything that's going on to their life, whenever you do whatever it is in your groups, all of these things should be done for the glory of God. You want Jesus's glory to be magnified as much as possible. It's done... Um, by you as an offering of worship unto Jesus. So the two key facets, I'm still under number four, the two key facets of aiming at the glory of God by these leaders. The first thing is that it's done intentionally by not making about the leader, but making it about Jesus, nor do we seek glory from others. They did not want the glory for themselves. They pushed everybody to say, don't think that it's about us. Instead, it's about Jesus. So one of the ways you do that is you intentionally, whether you're the leader of the group or not the leader of the group, you just, you're part of the group, everybody tries to make it about Jesus. 
The second way that you make it about the glory of God is that you make holiness or Christ-likeness in the community one of the key things that you seek after. You can see that in verse 10 where he says, You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct before you believers. One of the things that you want to strive for by aiming at the glory of God is by making holiness or blameless or righteousness or Christ-likeness something that everyone seeks after in their community group, in their biblical community. And you can see Paul's kind of logical steps as he walks through from verses 5 and following how he didn't make it about himself, but instead he made it about the glory of God. He said in verse 5 and 6, we didn't make it about ourselves. And he said, but on the contrary, in, seven, in verses 7 and 8, we decisively made little of ourselves and served you. We gave you the gospel in verse 8. We gave you our souls in verse 8. Uh, we didn't want to be a burden to you, a financial burden to you in verse 9. Uh, we proclaimed the gospel to you in verse 9, which is because we had been entrusted with it, as we said in verse 4 already. Um, we made much of God by trying to have righteous, holy living, holy, righteous, blameless living. And we also wanted to make, uh, develop other people and exhort and encourage them and charge them in verse 11. So you can just see the logical train of trying to aim at the glory of God where we didn't want to make it about ourselves. We wanted to serve you. We wanted to give you our souls. We wanted to give you the gospel. We were entrusted with the gospel. So we glorified God by telling you the gospel. We made much of God by being holy. We made much of God by developing other people so that they could be encouraged and entrusted also. So you can see this logical train of thought as he lists out all the things that he aimed for uh, by having the glory of God be one of the primary things in this group. So um, number four, the, the fourth thing in, in your community group should be that the ultimate aim is the glory of God. Now this might be primarily for the leaders of the groups but uh, and this is just it's a heart check. I'm a community group leader too, right? So I have to think about this as well. Um, at the end of every meeting, at the end of every month when you reassess your group, at the end, do you think, man, I'm doing a good job? Or do you think, man, these people are growing in Christ? It's something you just have to stop and really reflect on. It's not about me. It's not about people thinking I'm awesome. I don't even want for them to just come up to me all the time and say, hey, man, you're a great community group leader. If that's what I'm seeking after, if I'm fishing for these compliments, then I'm not doing it right. I'm wanting them to say after group meetings or after we've hung out on Fridays or whatever, for them to think to themselves, man, Jesus is amazing. That's the ultimate aim. So that's a key aspect of biblical community. Next one. Verses 8 and 9. So be affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you. I'll proclaim to you the gospel of God. What we can see here, especially those first two words in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous. That's... That's some pretty powerful words. If you stop, you can, you can breathe, breeze over that really fast and just think, okay, this is Paul writing to a group of people. And he says, we, me and my compadres, were affectionately desirous of you. Which means, fifth, you have a selfless love for others. Man, I really hope that you're examining your community group right now and asking yourselves, do we have a selfless not conditional, selfless love for others. 
when I hear the words affectionately desirous, and I really stop and I think these are kinds of the, these are the kinds of words that usually me, I reserve for my spouse. <laughs> and that's just about it. I, have, I would never walk up to Andres and say, Andres, I have an affectionate desire for you <laughs> to be in your presence and hang out with you. I would say, Andres, I love you. I think you're awesome. You're a quite handsome man. All kinds of stuff like that, right? But I wouldn't say I have an affectionate desirous, uh, desires within, within me to just hang around you all the time. But yet Paul, in the most Christ-centered, biblical way, not weird, right? Tells the Thessalonians, just think about that. Think about the affection he must have, he and his people must have for these Thessalonians to say, I have an affectionate desire to be with you. This might be one of the most... Uh, amazing ways that we can talk about biblical community and really get a grasp around the kind of selfless love that should be in our community groups. That we have that kind of love for each other. That whenever we're not around them, we're just thinking, man, I really wish that I could be around, fill in the blank, the person in my, in my group. Just being around them is so amazing. I'm just going to text them. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm praying for you and I love you. Or whatever. You have this growing love that never stops. You're, you have a selfless love to serve them. In the context of your community group, what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, it tells us what it looks like in this context. That you're willing to labor and toil. You can see in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaim the gospel. So and instead of being there and taking offerings so that they could live, they didn't want to take any money from the Thessalonians so that they could eat. So what they did is they, they moved to the city. They earned their own money to not be a financial burden just so that they, when they're with the Thessalonians, they, it was no conditions whatsoever. It was completely selfless. We just want to be here with you. We don't want your money. We don't want anything but just to be with you. As a matter of fact, we're going to go labor and toil at our own jobs so that we can have money, not from you, just to be with you. And a lot of times, ministry feels like labor and toil. Being in a community feels like labor and toil, but it's absolutely worth it. Are we willing to labor and toil uh, to show our selfless desire, selfless love for people? Are we willing to give our nights and days so that we can, not, not just the easy hours, our nights and our days, so that we can be with people. Are we willing to proclaim the gospel of God even when they don't want to hear it to them? This is some of the things that selfless love looks like. Now, this isn't just a, a challenge that pastors need to hear. Paul was with other people. This is a challenge for every single one in this room. Are we willing to give not just the easy hours of our day, but then those extra hours where it's kind of just built in for us? Are we willing if someone calls and says, I really need you right now to say, I'll be there right now. And you can even see how Paul describes the selfless love. He puts it in these familial terms, family terms, where he talks about this love he has for him. You can see it in verse 7 where he says, um, but we were gentle among you like nursing mothers taking care of our own children. And you can see it in verse uh, 11. that's mother's side. And he also talks about a father's side. So for, you know, like father with his children, we exhorted you and encouraged and charged you. Now, of course, mothers can exhort and encourage. And of course, fathers can be gentle. But nevertheless, he's just using general terms here saying selfless love looks like being gentle with people, taking care of them, but also encouraging and char- charging them and, and, and uh, exhorting them to not be comfortable where they are, but continually grow in Christ. All these things is what selfless love looks like. Um, I have, as you know, lots of kids. But one of my responsibilities when I'm at home is to put to bed the youngest 
well, not the youngest because of Evangeline, but the two youngest boys. And so uh, whenever dinner's over, I'll take the boys up. We do bath time. Uh, they're five and three. It's one of my favorite parts of the day. We'll do bath time and they play and they argue over, you know, who gets what toys or whatever. And then after that, uh, as, soon, as soon as they get out, I say, all right, y'all can race to your room. And so they race to their room without towels and they race to their room. It's really funny. And then they see who can get there first. And usually the older one wins, but sometimes I'll block, give him a little block and let the younger one go. And he's like, you yeah, dress and win. And so they finally get there, whatever. We get them all dressed and get them for their pajamas on. And they're in little bunk beds that they aren't like th- this kind of bunk beds are kind of like this perpendicular. And so I'll hold their both hand, their hands and I'll um, turn off all the lights. I'm like, God, thank you for them. I love these little boys. Thank you so much for them. Help them grow into men that love you. Help them want to love Jesus and serve Jesus. All out. Help them be tough and tender. You know, I just pray all these things. And then I'll um, kind of talk to Liam for a second. I'll get down on Tristan and I'll get right up to his bed. And I'll say, Tristan, I love you so much, buddy. You're such a good boy. Daddy loves you so much. Okay. And he looks at me and goes, I'm, I'm waiting. You know, I'm, I'm, this is a tender moment where I've telling, I love you so much. He goes, Okay. <laughs> That's where you say, I love you too, Tristan, but all right. So he has no problem receiving it, but he has a little problem giving it. Um, but if we're not, if we're not, uh, mindful and watching, I'd say that illustration to say, we might bring that into the way that we love people in our community groups accidentally, where we're totally good at receiving love, but really bad at actually giving it out. Now he's a three-year-old, right? He loves me. I'm okay. I don't need counseling. Um, But my point is this. We're really good receivers of love, but sometimes not very good givers. And here, we're exhorted to have selfless love for others. Not just, okay, thanks. Yeah, bring it on. But also, how can I also love you? What can I do to care for you selflessly? Last one is this. It's in verse 8. So being effectually desirous of you. Verse 8, by the way, is maybe the, the theme verse of the New Testament when it comes to a community group. If you just want to bring it all down to one verse about community, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being effectually desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. This word selves, Psuke, it's like psychology, but they pronounce the P and the S, pursuit, and that's actually not a K, it's a one of those nasty, pursuke. But anyway, this word selves in my Bible uh, is soul. It's the word soul. So not only was I willing, so in essence, Paul, not only when I came to you, Thessalonica, was I ready to share with you the gospel, which, you know, helps you spend eternity with heavens. It's not only that, I wasn't just the big truth teller, here's the truth, take it or leave it. But I also came to you willing to share with you my soul. I didn't just want to give you everything you need and beat you over the head with the Bible and say, here it is, take it or leave it. I don't love you. It's, I gave you the gospel, but I was also willing to give you my soul. You're willing to be, number six, this trait is you're willing to be vulnerable and share your soul with your community. The sharing of one's soul with each other. That sounds scary. And for people that have never done that, um, it's daunting and spooky and scary. And you're like, I, that's not something maybe I would ever think I would want to do. John Piper says this, where the gospel flourishes, people share their own souls, their joy and their guilt and their fear and their longings and their passions, all of it. So God's calling us in our 
community groups to share our souls with each other. This means if you're going to share your soul, you're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to say, I'm not perfect. Here's my mess. Oh, we've already said from the beginning that when people share their mess, you're not going to say, <laughs> Seinfeld, good luck with all that. <laughs> Hope it works out. Wow. You're not going to do that, right? You're not going to do that. But not only are you willing to hear it and stay, you're actually willing to share your mess. You're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to share your soul with people. Biblical community means you have to do this. Paul was willing to share his own soul with these people that he had ministered for, ministered to. Now, I've left out one key fact to the end on purpose. If you read through the book of Acts and you look at the narrative, you realize Paul was in Thessalonica. You read all this and you think, man, he must have been there forever to be able to talk like this. Affectionately desirous. That's a long time. He was there probably three weeks. Three weeks in Thessalonica. That's it. We have no other record of him going back. He talks like this to people he spent three weeks with. Now, how's that possible? I say in God's economy, it's totally possible. It's totally possible for you in three weeks to have this kind of relationship with someone in this room. That's the way God works. That's not how we work naturally. We want to put fences up and guard our hearts and not tell anybody our stuff. But in God's economy, this is exactly, I would submit that if we would, if we would pursue ourselves, not just hope that it passively comes to us, but actively pursue Christian community in our own lives, it would take no more than two weeks that where we are sharing our souls with people. You ever like gone in an airplane or a restaurant or something and all of a sudden you start talking and you realize this person's a Christian and after about 30 minutes of talking, you've said more things to them like personally than you've shared with people that have known you that aren't Christians. You're like, wow, that was weird. Yeah, you're Christians. You have this deep thing in common, your belief in Christ that you've both been rescued from the pits of hell that, that, that binds you in a way that's remarkable like anything else that you can do this. I would submit that it only takes a couple weeks to have this kind of relationship if you and we would pursue it together. As you know, I'm going to conclude with this. 2018 has been by far the most difficult year of my life, without question. It's been the most difficult year of my life. We had special needs daughter born in January, which took all of up until like today to finally get used to, to try to figure it out. And then just a couple weeks ago, I lost my mom for, she battled cancer for seven years, but really these last months were the most intense, painful times. Um, and it's been difficult. It's been difficult. Now I don't say all that for you to pity me. That's not what I, I say all that instead to boast in Jesus and his design for biblical community, because my community group has come around Christy and me in ways that are just absolutely extraordinary. They have glorified Jesus tremendously, caring for us, loving for us, serving us, helping us. Whenever we're going to Charleston, somebody brought us breakfast that morning. We were leaving really early. They brought us breakfast so we'd have to pay for it and lunch. Uh, They've served us in ways that have just been amazing. They have been life-giving. And I feel almost like, I feel like we're we're doing a lot of receiving and not so much giving here. But I said, you're going to be given to I say all that to say this. This is not because I'm the pastor's, it's the pastor's family. Instead, it's because we're a member of the community group just like everybody else. 
And you can experience this exact same thing in your group in your difficult times. If you get into a biblical community, this church will love and care for you in any kind of thing that's going on in your life. They will come around you and they will practice these traits, Lord willing, with all of their heart, soul, and mind and strength that they can. It's absolutely crucial that you're a part of a biblical community. All of us are able to enjoy these kinds of things in community. So I want to say to all of us, as you look at these traits, pursue these things in your life, pursue these things in your community. And if you're not in one, pursue getting in one. These are one of the key ingredients here at Remedy Church is community. Because we believe that when we do this well, that we are living on mission, that we are caring for each other, and that we are bringing glory to Jesus by being uh, salt and light in this city in ways that people aren't receiving around the city. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy that you've given to us. Thank you for this unbelievable design of biblical community where we can have people come around us and love us and care for us and be here for us. We thank you that it's centered on and because of the gospel of Jesus, that without the gospel, we have no hope, but because of the good news of Jesus, we can actually be selfless people. We don't have to pursue every relationship trying to get something, but we can walk in there wanting to give. We can share our souls with people. We can be vulnerable with people. We have nothing to hide because you already know everything and you've forgiven everything already. And so we can love and care for people at deep, deep levels. So I pray, Lord, that we would do this in this church, that we would pursue these things in our community group, and that every person here, God, would deeply desire these things in their life, that they wouldn't be satisfied with mere attendance in church communities, biblical communities, Christian communities, but they would pursue this kind of community outlined in 1 Thessalonians 2. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go into a